Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. This is Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including us in your day. What a privilege to have coffee with you this morning or tea with you in the afternoon, wherever you are um, in the world. Appreciate your spending a part of your day or evening with us. I know a lot of you are listening on the Faith Radio app, and so it could be any hour of the day or night where you are, and I acknowledge and recognize that. So take a quick uh, survey of some of the headlines here before we jump into our conversation with our friend Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Hurricane Fiona is uh, still wreaking havoc. Um, I mean, you know, when you're marking the anniversary of a major hurricane, the last thing that you want is another hurricane. But that is exactly what uh, happened in Puerto Rico on Sunday as Hurricane Fiona arrived as a Category 1 storm. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, inundating the island with nearly three feet of rain. Um, The entire island lost power. Over half of the island lost water services. 80% of of the island nation remains in the dark. Um, And yeah, it's a grim flashback to five years ago when Hurricane Maria arrived as a Category 4 storm, killing more than 3,000 people and leaving parts of this U.S. territory without power for a year. So um, Turks and Caicos has been taking the brunt of the storm uh, in recent hours. Um, so we'll see as the sun rises this morning, the devastation there as well. And want to be um, praying for those still in the path of this hurricane, which may make landfall fall in a historic uh, event in Canada um, later this week or this weekend. So be, we're going to be continue to be paying attention to Fiona as she progresses. Um, an American contractor and Navy veteran, uh, Mark Frakes, who has been held hostage in Afghanistan for more than two years, has been released in a prisoner exchange with the Taliban. Um, he was swapped for Bashir Norzai, uh, who is a convicted Taliban drug lord sentenced to life in prison in the United States. Um, and so... Yeah, that whole we don't negotiate, um, you know, that used to be like a historic principle, but that that is no longer true because we do want our people back. And so um, these stories will continue to unfold as um, hostage diplomacy uh, becomes the way of more and more countries to get what they want from us. Um, North Korea is probably the most egregious in terms of its hostage diplomacy, but lots of countries now engage in it. And so if you're traveling abroad, like it's, uh, it's, it's no small thing to consider um, what's happening. Um, COVID relief. This is a huge story, not only in Minnesota, but across the country today. Federal authorities unveiled charges against 48 people in Minnesota accused of siphoning more than $240 million 
from coronavirus pandemic relief programs that were designed to provide meals for children. So under um, uh, uh, under a nonprofit known as Feeding Our Future, these individuals um, claimed reimbursement for meals that were never provided to children that, um, you know, never got fed. It is the largest pandemic-related fraud scheme brought so far by the Justice Department. But federal prosecutors have brought more than a thousand criminal cases across the country related to fraud losses of over a million, I mean, a billion, excuse me, billion with a B, um, dollars. Um, So there have been like some 70,000 loans totaling more than $4.6 billion that are potentially fraudulent. So we're going to see more and more stories like this across the U.S. But the 48 people allegedly um, in this particular fraud scheme in Minnesota, build the government for meals they did not serve to children who did not exist. And one of the accused submitted receipts for feeding 5,000 children a day. And if you had just put the address into Google Earth, you would have seen that it was like a one-bedroom, second-story apartment. Not possible to feed 5,000 children out of such a facility. So um, some due diligence was not done. Obviously, uh, significant fraud perpetrated um, and justice needed um, and really grief. Really, there's just grief there in relationship to the way we um, take advantage um, in, in times of material distress of others. All right. Bill English is going to join us next from BibleandBusiness.com. We're going to talk about the U.S. stock market, which I got to tell you, it, this is not a good news story quite yet. But, you know, there's always hope on the horizon. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to turn to the financial page now with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Good morning, sir. And good morning to you, Carmen. I have my uh, newspaper out, and I'm turning to the financial page. That must be the sound of the newspaper. That was the sound of the newspaper. Um, All right. um, Although we wouldn't really have to turn to the financial page because this is actually A1 uh, in some papers today. The U.S. stock market fell to two-month low as the Fed looks to increase interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point for a third time. Now, if you multiply three-quarters of a percentage point by three, you get a lot in terms of the increase uh, in, um, in the lending rate. So talk with us about what's going on, talk with us about the trend, and talk with us about what it means like at my kitchen table. Well, first of all, I don't think the sky is falling. Uh, secondly, it's a 2.25 overall increase in the interest rate. That's the federal funds rate. That's the rate that banks charge each other or that the Federal Reserve charges um, uh, banks uh, to borrow money. And then that has an, has a, an effect on the uh, prime interest rate that, that we in the retail sector uh, borrow money from the banks at. So look, um, the the interest rates have been artificially low, driven by the Fed uh, with uh, very easy money. And when you come, when you can go out, you know, it used to be what six months a year ago, you could have gone out and refinanced your house, and if you had really good credit, 
on a 15-year mortgage, you could have refinanced your house at 1.75% interest rate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. that's that's not a sustainable interest rate mm-hmm. for any economy. Really, these interest rates, they're just now starting to get back to where they need to be. Um and the reason the stock market has been overpriced is because that's the only place you can put your money to get any kind of decent return. When you can't put your money in a bank and get five, six, seven percent savings rate, then you're or 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 with bonds if if unless you're a long-term investor, um, you have to go to the stock market to get a decent rate of return. So as the interest rate goes up, price of housing comes down, but also as interest rates go up, savings rates go up in other instruments, stock market pricing comes down. And now you're going to see some of these uh, investment monies go to other instruments besides the stock market. I don't see this as a bad thing. I see this as the market correcting itself. They're pricing in not only the three-quarter interest rate uh, increase that the Fed's going to do, but what they anticipate they're going to do in November and December, which they're thinking aggregate probably will be somewhere between one point and one and a half points total. And I think to me, this is this is a good thing, except <laughs> one, one other thing, Carmen, except if you're a person who maxed out the value of an inflated house price, say a year or a year and a half ago, and uh, and now you find that uh, the value of your house is coming down. Now you want to sell. You might be upside down. So that may may not be a good situation for those folks. Yeah, that it only matters though if you're if you want to sell. It's not right, a re- right. it's not a real loss unless it's a realized loss. And that's where your whole the sky is not falling. Um, I think is a really critical part of this conversation. Um, it it only matters if you're selling. It doesn't. Yes. I mean, if I mean, because there will be the market recovers. That's sort of how this works. It there's a, um, yeah. So I'm I'm going to have a, a the sky is not falling um, take on this as well. When we talk about interest rates, you know, sometimes um, and we talk about inflation and we talk about what I'm experiencing at the grocery store, which you know, frankly, is the place that I gauge this most often um, because okay. every week I go and every week it feels like. And actually, in reality, the it keeps getting more expensive. And in some cases, I have fewer choices. Um, I That is an experience as an American consumer that is new. And it's not a sky is falling experience, right? Because I probably had more choices than I ever needed. Um, but it is real. Like, I am having a different experience now than I used to have. Yeah, that's because the dollar's value is going down. In other words, the purchasing power of each individual dollar is less today than it was three months ago, and it was less three months ago than it was six months ago. And uh, and so it takes more dollars to buy the same goods or services. And that's why people talk about the price going up. What they really should be focusing on, in my estimation, is the purchasing power of the dollar going down. The real heinous part of this is that everybody's savings is also, in, a, in terms of purchasing power, is being devalued. And that's that's a problem for a lot of people who are counting, who are especially are fixed income and they're on a fixed income savings plan. You know, they've they've retired and they get a certain amount of money every month and they're not in a position to go out and add 
more work to their life so that they can add say a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand to their to their savings account they're not in that position to do that they're they're the folks who are taking it on the chin also i i think those who uh make a much lower wage are taking it on the chin everybody takes it on the chin a little bit um but those but those at both ends of the spectrum i think are especially hit hard All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Bill English here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the decline of men in the workforce. Why are so many men not working? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Bill, what is going on in the U.S. workforce, and why are so many men not working? Uh, I wish I could answer that question. You know, I read, mm-hmm. I read, I read the articles in our in our show prep email, and I just um, no one knows why why men are not working. What they do note is that women are even a greater percentage of women and minorities are not working compared to men. But the overall labor force participation rate is still down. Now, one economist here in the, uh, I'm looking here, in the, uh, his name is Michael Strain. He's saying that part of the reason is because U.S. households still have more than $2 trillion in excess savings on their balance sheets. Now, I'm assuming he's comparing that to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, I don't. I, I can tell you that two trillion isn't sitting on my balance sheet, and right. uh, that, I don't know. That's what I, I was thinking. You know, it's probably not on yours or Paul's or anybody else's. <laughs> so I don't know where I don't know where this money is. Maybe it's maybe it's sitting on the balance sheet of the people who've just committed fraud and they're being charged. <laughs> you know, like you you talked about. Mm. Um, but uh, I I don't know. I look. I think there's but there's a macro thing here in play. Um, and I, you're probably going to get pushback for what I'm going to say here. Um, ever since the sixties and early seventies, men have started to take gradually a back seat, uh, to anybody else who wants to be in charge, both in the home and in the workplace. And it men's, um, I'm going to say men's persona, men's how we view ourselves has been devalued and, and, and the value of how we look at ourselves has been chipped away at over the over the decades. I, I remember commenting to my wife more than once um, that I'm so sick of white men, especially, but just men in general, being the butt of so many jokes in so many sitcoms. You know, we're always we're always portrayed as incompetent, as stupid, as um, just these knuckle dragging you know, Neanderthals. And, uh, and I'm being a little facetious to make the point. 
but rarely do you see men in our society held up as the people that we really can be and should be based on how God views us. And I think that there's just this general checking out of men over time. So, for example, back in the 50s, 97% of men between the ages of 25 and 54 were working. Uh, Today, it's 88%. Now, is that a big change? I think so. Um, But I think it's not because of economic reasons. I think it's because of societal reasons and the fact that, that our roles have changed such that we're no longer the men that we used to be. And I'm being a little bit strong to make the point. Yeah, I think if I were just if I were just to juxtapose father father knows best and the way you know a father is portrayed in that particular sitcom or I guess it's a sitcom versus modern family and the way um the dad is portrayed in that production like even if you just juxtapose two examples um but yeah, if you were to survey, if you were to scroll across Nickelodeon, ABC, Fox, I mean, on and on and on, and you were to actually look at the portrayal of dads, yeah, the the presentation of husbands and fathers as useless um, is pretty strong. I mean, yeah, and and so if we're if we're operating in our families as if dads don't matter, and we're operating in the world as if men don't matter. No surprise that men are going to take a back seat and um, not seek to take really the the positions that you rightfully have um, under the authority of God. I mean, I, there is a cre- there is a genuine created order to all of this, and when we shirk it, we suffer the consequences. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, yeah, we're going to get pushback for saying that, but the pushback is going to be against against God and his word. And so, you know, I'm, I'm good with that, Bill. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you are. You and I have never talked about this, but it just seems to me that that's the ambient context in which we're finding men not participating in the workforce uh, as much as, as they used to. But to be fair, uh, there's no other demographic that's really up a lot either. And so the general workforce participation, what what one writer called here, this growing joblessness is a real issue because when you have the more joblessness you have on the part of people who can work and should work, uh, the less dignity you have, the more crime you have and and the more other type of social ills that that are that are going to come about. And so. um it just seems to me that, uh, you know, how do we get men back into the workforce is the same question as how do we get women back in the workforce? How do we get minorities back in the workforce? That kind of thing. How do we increase work all the way around? Uh, you don't do it by telling um, certain genders or races that they, that they just don't matter anymore. You, you don't do it that way. Yeah, we need to restore the dignity of work and the dignity of the worker. Like, oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, God, God created us um, it, it, to labor. Like, he created us to work. I mean, to, to till the soil, to, um, to shepherd the flock, to lead our families. God created us to, to work, and God has prepared good works in advance for each and every one of us to do. Um, and actual labor is a part of that. I mean, you know, the Bible 
clearly says. I mean, he who doesn't work doesn't eat. Um, we don't operate that way um, in our culture and in our society. And so, you know, I think that there is a conversation about the dignity of the worker and the dignity of work that needs to be restored. So thank you, as always, for helping us enter into such a rich conversation about, you know, about real life um, and and how we're engaging in it. We appreciate you being here. Oh, you bet. I appreciate coming on air with you. Thanks. That's Bill English. You can find him at BibleInBusiness.com. Tim Challies is um, one of the most recognized Christian bloggers in the world. Tens of thousands of people visit Challies.com every single day. Um, Tim Challies is a dad. He's a Christian pastor. He processes through writing, and that means that he has reflected in real time um, upon the sudden death of his 21-year-old son, Nick. Um, Nick died on November 3rd, 2020, and Tim processed through writing over the four seasons of that first year. That has now become a book, Seasons of Sorrow. Um, and Tim's going to join us next to, to talk about what it means to grieve as a faithful Christian. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Tim Challies speaks every single day to tens of thousands of people around the world via his blog at challies.com. C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S is what you're looking for online. Um, Tim is a pastor. He's a Christian brother. He's a dad. He's a husband. um, And he is a person acquainted with grief. He's here today to talk with us and share seasons of sorrow, the pain of loss, and the comfort of God. Tim, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you for having me. So, um, what a horribly beautiful book. Uh, It seems very strange to say thank you for a gift that has cost you and your family so very much. Um, But thank you. Um, Let's start with um, not a question of whether or not this is a good book to give to someone in grief, because it is, but a question of when. Talk about the sensitivity necessary to walk with someone in their grief? Yeah, when people are deep in grief, uh, we as their friends or family members, we want to help them solve it. We want to help them feel better immediately. We want to do all we can to to lighten their load. Uh, But that's not always possible and not even always advisable. Sometimes we just have to pass through these deep, dark valleys. And so there may be a time to help people by giving them a book or giving them a good sermon or something else, uh, directing them to some good resource. But often we just need to sit silently with them, cry with them, pray with them before we try to to really help them in any other more tangible way. So I'm hoping um, that you have the book in your hand. Do you? Because I'm going to ask you to read a page. Okay, fantastic. So um, because I follow you on your website, um, I read 
these words on November 4th, 2020 in real time. And I would um, ask you to read them now because I know better than to ask you to take us to that day (laughs) because I've also read the first page of the prologue. So um, I would love for you to read um, first the page that comes before the prologue that, you know, a weird Roman numeral italicized 12 and then, and then the first page of the prologue as well. Would you do that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Thank you. So this is a, uh, a blog entry that I wrote on November 4, 2020. And it says, in all the years I've been writing, I've never had to type words more difficult, more devastating than these. Yesterday, the Lord called my son to himself, my dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. Nick was playing a game with his sister and fiance and many other students at his college in Louisville, Kentucky, when he suddenly collapsed, never regaining consciousness. Students, paramedics, and doctors battled valiantly but could not save him. He's with the Lord he loved, the Lord he longed to serve. We have no answers to the what or why questions. Yesterday, Eileen and I cried and cried until we could cry no more, until there were no tears left to cry. And later in the evening, we looked each other in the eye and said, we can do this. We don't want to do this, but we can do this, this sorrow, this grief, this devastation, because we know we don't have to do it in our own strength. We can do it like Christians, like a son and daughter of the father who knows what it is to lose a son. We traveled through the night to get to Louisville so we could be together as a family. And we ask that you remember us in your prayers as we mourn our loss together. We know there will be grueling days and sleepless nights ahead. But for now, even though our minds are bewildered and our hearts are broken, our hope is fixed and our faith is holding. Our son is home. You wanted me to continue into the prologue? Yeah, I would love that, Tim. And again, let me just remind people, we're talking with Tim Challies. We're talking about this beautiful, um, horrible, true, faithful new book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss, and the Comfort of Joy. Tim walks us through the the first four seasons, the first full year after the death of his son, Nick. And I've asked him to read these opening pages because it helps frame um, not only the conversation we're going to have here today, but how we walk through the valley of the shadow of death with those who are grieving. So, yes, Tim, if you would read the first page of the prologue, we did everything we could. Sure. Things happened that evening that I can barely bring myself to remember, much less to describe in any detail. Much of it has blessedly disappeared from my memory and must have been erased by some kind of a self-protection mechanism within. What remains is isolated fragments, tiny vignettes. I remember receiving the phone call every parent dreads, the one in which a doctor says, we did everything we could. I remember the anguished cry of a mother who has been told that her son has died and the piercing wail of a sister who has learned that her brother will not come home. I remember the traumatized face of another sister who had watched her brother fall to the ground and die before her eyes. I remember words of disbelief escaping from my own mouth. My boy, my boy, my poor, poor boy. These are sacred moments, haunting memories that are best left where they are, buried deep within to rise only amid infrequent flashbacks and disturbing dreams of the night. So, Tim, when I, um, when I read that, um, what I wrote in the margin is, this is reality. Um, I was 15 years old. Um, I was home alone on a Saturday morning. It was Mother's Day weekend of 1984. 
And I heard those words, we did everything we could, um, from a nurse who uh, worked at a hotel in Jamaica where my dad was traveling on business. And I resonate with everything you said here. The way we remember, the way God protects us by allowing us to forget, um, and those dreams that play tricks on us when we imagine for a moment when we awake that it didn't really happen, and then we realize that, no, in fact, it did. So um, Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for the honesty of your own testimony and for this um, precious attention to the reality of the seasons of grief, the seasons of sorrow. So let's talk specifically about the book. Um, Seasons of Sorrow traces your journey through these four seasons, this first year, but metaphorically seasons of sorrow and grief um, in general. So um, just very, very briefly touch on the four seasons. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the four seasons are literally just the four seasons of the year that followed Nick's death. And we framed the book that way because it progresses through that first year. I'm trying to write in real time as things actually unfolded. So rather than looking back on my grief, I'm looking directly at my grief as it unfolds. And then, as you said, metaphorically, seasons uh, is a useful term as well, just showing that we do go through times in life. All of us inevitably go through times in loss where we experience deep sorrow, deep, deep grief. So it seems such a um, terribly vulnerable act in a world where vulnerability is such a great risk to um, to process so publicly in this way. So there's a part of me that just like is, you know, um, wants to say, you know, like there's this wow, thank you part. And then there's this like fearful part for you and your family in just putting it all out there so publicly. Um, it's an honest book about the pain of loss and the reality of doubts and fears. And, and it's a book about how to grieve as a person of faith. Um, this is a book about not grieving as the world grieves, but as those who have a real substantial present tense hope in a real savior. So can you talk for a moment about the hope to which you cling? Yeah, we do have great hope as Christians, and our hope is in in God himself, that God is purposeful, that God is not doing things arbitrarily. God is not doing things to punish us, to harm us. Uh, We know that in Christ all our sins have been forgiven. We know that God is inclined toward us instead of against us. And so when we go through times of, of great sorrow, great loss, whatever it is, bereavement, we can trust that God is up to something good, even if we can't see it. In the moment, we don't have to think that God is is punishing us or now extending some sort of disfavor to us. And so we can have hope and we can even have joy just knowing that uh, God is accomplishing good things, even if we can't see it right now. And of course, if our loved ones have died in Christ, we can have great comfort, great joy, and just looking forward over the horizon, knowing that a time is coming when we will be reunited. That um, That hope of being together again as brothers and sisters in Christ um, at home with the Father forever is yet before us, and there is a long distance between here and there. We're going to talk about the distance um, that that exists, as reflected on by Tim Challies in this beautiful book, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss, and the Comfort of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we will be right back. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Bless the Lord, he will give me his peace. Bless the Lord, he will give me his peace. And if I should remain in the valley today, bless the Lord, he will give me his peace. That is the chorus from In the Valley, Bless the Lord, a, si- a song that was written by City of Light to accompany the release of the book we're discussing today, Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Tim Challies is the not only the author, but um, he is the person walking in the valley, blessing the Lord. Um, he's with us today. Tim, again, um, thank you so much for being here. Every person grieves... Yeah, every person grieves differently. Um, I'm wondering, what are some of the things that you learned about grieving alongside your wife and your girls and even Nick's fiance as you each navigated this first year in the Valley of the Shadow? Yeah, I think I learned what what you just said, which is that we all grieve differently. And um, men grieve like men and fathers like fathers and women like women and mothers like mothers and um, our, our griefs are all very different, and that calls us then to be very, very patient and kind to one another. It's very easy to think that everyone should grieve the way I grieve or grieve to the extent or the degree or all of those things. Um, but we realize that we grieve in different ways at different paces, uh, introverts like introverts and extroverts like extroverts and so on. And so just a real call to be so patient and kind and forbearing with one another. So in my um, experience, the, the first year is quite unique in terms of a, the year of grief. Um, and then as that first year passes, you know, that first holiday, whatever the first holiday is, the first anniversary of their birthday, um, I'll acknowledge that for my family, the haunting reality of the first year was what we just came to call the empty chair. Um, you know, remember, it was like the mid 80s and, and just a mom and, and two high school age girls. And so every time we would show up anywhere, anywhere, the question was always the same. Party of four. Um, will the gentleman be joining you? Um, and so when your party of five became a party of four, like how did your family deal with the empty chair? Yeah, the, the first year is so difficult because it's the year of every first, the first birthday, the first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, the first, all of these things. And then uh, that great 
first anniversary of the death, which looms in the distance and eventually comes up. And and so we, we knew that this would happen. We had been warned to be aware of the first. And in our experience, the lead up was usually worse than the day itself. Uh, so the anticipation of those things was especially uh, difficult. And, and then as the year went on, we, we started to realize we can experience joys even on those days. And um, we wanted to, to celebrate as much as we could and not let every holiday be overshadowed by, by our grief. And, and so as the year went on, it did become easier. It did become easier to find real joy that goes alongside the sorrow. And I think that's what we realize in our griefs is that grief and sorrow, or sorry, uh, grief and joy don't cancel out one another. Both can be fully present at the same time. They don't merge to become one mixed emotion, that they stay intact. So you are joyful even as you're grieving. I think there's no question about that. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I guess the cross is this incredible um maybe the most incredible acknowledgement of that, right? I mean, it, it, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. I mean, it's, it is crazy to say, unless you understand what happens there. Um, yeah. Um, I'd love to turn with you to pages 115 and 116. This is such a concise theological lesson. Like you bring the truth to bear on some very well-meaning, but, utterly untrue things that people say um, when they try to comfort those who are grieving. So would you be so kind as to read those two pages to us, the first two pages of chapter 27 um, in the Seasons of Sorrow? Yeah, the chapter titled, The Trumpet Shall Sound. Yes, sir. Okay. It has become my custom to visit Nick on Sunday afternoons. I eat my lunch and then before settling in with a book or a ball game, make a short drive to the cemetery. It's a tradition I've come to treasure because, because it's on that little patch of tear-soaked ground there before that slab of dark stone that I feel closest to him. In all the earth, it feels like the nearest point of contact between father and son. I cannot see him. I cannot speak with him. I cannot wrap my arms around him, but I cannot like, at least be here. Today, I've chosen to come early, to come before dawn, to come and watch the sunrise, for this Sunday is Easter Sunday. The ground is frosted white and the air is cool. It is, after all, still only early April here in Canada. The sky is beginning to reflect the first rays of the rising sun, and I find myself wondering, how far away are the dead from the living? What separates our dearly departed from we who remain? Is it a chasm or is it a ditch? Is it a moment or an age? Is it a partition of paper or a citadel of stone? Is it a deep sea that stretches beyond the horizon or a shallow puddle that evaporates beneath our feet. How near or how far am I from my boy? I put my headphones on, open my music app, and select Handel's Messiah, the soundtrack to so many of my life's greatest joys and deepest sorrows. I advance to the third part, the second scene, the 47th movement, and listen as the bass soloist begins to sing, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. This is scripture set to music, truth wrapped in oratorio. A well-meaning friend once brought a word meant to console. Nick has become a star shining in the night sky, smiling down on you. But I know souls are souls and stars are stars, and ne'er the twain shall meet, for they are of a different substance. A soul can no more become a star than a star can become a soul. Still, I wonder, 
Is he nearer or farther than the distance between that star and this earth? Another friend said Nick has joined the ranks of the angels and is more present with us now than he has ever been. But as stars are stars and souls are souls, angels are angels and human beings are human beings. God created both, but with distinction. Surely Nick has not exchanged his humanity for something of an entirely different order. Still, I wonder, is he nearer or farther than the distance between human beings and angels, between the world that is visible and the world that is veiled to our eyes? That's Tim Challies. He's reading a portion of Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. Um, Tim, thank you for putting the questions that are real and before us that sometimes we're afraid to ask out loud or we're afraid to let others know that we're asking in private. Um, it's it's such an honest um such an honest book and um and again i i struggle to find like good questions to ask because i just want you to read it to me like right so there's this um there's this appreciation for um the craft of writing and so i'm thankful for you as a writer um and i'm thankful that you not only processed your grief writing in real time but that you have allowed us um, into it. And so I think that moves to the conversation of um, sorrow as a ministry. Um, sorrow becomes a ministry is one of the things that you that you talk about. Um, I have observed that in the lives of others who have been in ministry and then lost children um, and their ministry has been transformed into um, into a different kind of ministry. Can you talk with us a little bit about how sorrow becomes a ministry for Christians? Sure, yeah. I think when we hear ministry, we tend to think something formal where we have a charitable organization people give money to and we create curriculum and all of that. And that's not really uh, what I'm referring to as much as just God equips his people to serve one another. We are a body. We are joined um, to one another through our, our our shared relationship with Christ. And so God equips his people to to care for one another, to minister to one another. And those he calls to pass through sorrow, are, he's equipping now to guide others through their sorrow, to bring them comfort, to bring them help and hope in their times of, of grief and loss. And so the ministry of sorrow is just understanding God's purpose behind our sorrow, that it, it's not meaningless, it's not purposeless, but God is calling us to something through it. And part of what he calls us to is now being available to reach out to others and to, to comfort and help them when they themselves now pass through a difficult time. Tim Challies, um, I'm sure you hear this from everybody, but you are welcome back any time. And you can just read to us what you're writing. Um, I follow you at your website. Um, I appreciate your writing. I want to encourage others um, to join in the conversation there. Challies, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S dot com. The book we've been discussing today Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss, and the Comfort of God. Tim, thank you so very much, and blessings upon you um, and your family. You're very, very welcome. What a delight. What a delight. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Pain. He's a pain 
Hey, thank you um, so very much for each and every one of you who checked in on the text line um, during the show at 877-933-2484. I, I am going to respond to each and every one of you now. I I mistakenly didn't even have the text line up. I just uh, totally apologize. So sometimes I don't multitask as well as I do on other days. Um, hey, be praying for me today. I'm going to be lifting you up in prayer, each and every one of us um walking out into the world that God so loves. Let us seek to do so in ways that honor Jesus. Let's get into the word of God, that the word of God could get into us so that we might be adequately equipped and prepared for the good works God has prepared in advance for us to do. There's a divine appointment ahead of you today. I don't know what it is. I can't anticipate it, but God has said it, and I don't want you to miss it. Remember that you are loved and you are a conduit of God's blessing and grace to others today. He first loved us, and we are grateful for that. Let us so love one another. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.